0: Hello, Ian Allison Gray here. Before we get onto the main content today, this episode is sponsored by my good friends at Adobe Express. Now I've been using Adobe Express for ages, but in the last year, I've become a proud Adobe Express ambassador. But as always with all my content, everything that I say in this are my own thoughts. I wanna share with you the fact that they've just launched the new, brand new Adobe Express, and it is so cool. Some of the things that you get on it now. So welcome to the world of AI, of course. Uh, we've got text image generation powered by Firefly, so we can just put something in here. So I've put in here a um, forest with an owl and the moon over mountains in the distance. That's quite complicated. Let's see how it copes with that. So I really like this one here. That looks really cool. But we could add layered paper and neon to change the effect on that so it's thinking about it. So just with some tweaking, you can create amazing AI generated images. And it's not just images, it's also text based as well. They've got text effects. So I've just added the text bright moonlit text and it's created this amazing effect there. There's also improved PDF integration as well. And also if you're a Creative Cloud subscriber, you can add in Photoshop and Illustrator files directly in Adobe Express. If you change them outside of Adobe Express, in Photoshop for example, the changes will appear here as well. So this is amazing, the team collaboration as well. And of course, you can remove backgrounds on not just images, but also on video as well. So definitely check out Adobe Express. You can go to iag.me forward slash Adobe Express to give this a play. It's completely free. There is a paid version, which is only $10 a month but uh, do check that out. And I thank you so much Adobe Express for sponsoring this episode of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. So let's get on with the main show now. Welcome to the Confident Live Marketing Show with Ian Anderson Gray.
1: Helping you level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of Confident Live Video.
0: Optimize your mindset and communication and increase your confidence in front of the camera.
1: Get confident with the tech and gear.
0: And get confident with the content Content and and marketing. marketing. Together, we We can go live! live. Well, hello. Welcome to episode 208 of the Confident Live Marketing Show. My name's Ian Anson Gray. And in this episode, we're talking about how to create unforgettable experiences. I've got my great friend, Phil Michonne on and can't wait to introduce you to him. He's been on the show before and you might be thinking, well, what on earth, Ian? Why, what are you here? You, the last episode was all about pausing the podcast. Um, And as I said in the last episode this podcast is not ending i will be creating more episodes i did promise you some amazing guests it's just that it's not going to be the same consistent every single friday uh, just as i'm thinking about some new avenues changing things uh so there you go it's exciting to have a, a special guest on today and i'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts or any ideas of what you would like to hear from me or any guests you'd like me to invite on the show, please let me know. You can get in touch with me on the socials. I have carelessly scattered myself across most of them out there. And you can email me at ian at iag.me. I'd love to hear from you. Well, let's introduce Phil to you. Phil, we've been friends for a long time. I think back in 2015 is when we first met at Social Media Marketing World. And he is the director of experience for Social Media Examiner. He's been designing the social media marketing world experience for over a decade, drawing from over 25 years in creating customized events. Phil loves to create memorable moments and transformational experiences. In addition, Phil is a jazz saxophonist, a pickleball enthusiast, and the author of Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. Welcome to the show, Phil, how are you doing?
1: I'm am doing amazing, Ian. It's great to be with you on here. That gives me confidence just hearing you read my bio like
0: that. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's a fabulous bio. I, I did, I, you're going to have to explain to me, uh, I don't know whether this is a Brit versus American thing, What's what's a pickleball enthusiast?
1: Ah, pickleball hasn't crossed the pond.
0: I don't so think pickleball
1: so. Pickleball is like a combination of racquetball, tennis, and ping pong. Ah. Kind of all smashed together it's been around as long as i've been alive it was literally created in 1965 the year that i was born up in seattle by some guys who were bored and had wanted to create a game for their kids in the backyard but it's taken america by storm in the last 10 years and now you're finding like even professional tennis players who are a little too old to compete with the young guys and the pros switching over to pickleball but the courts about half the size playing with a paddle, um, a flat uh, paddle it used to be made out of wood only, but now you've got, of course, all the expensive kinds because companies are looking for a, an opportunity to make money uh, and you're playing with a <laughs> wiffle ball. So, it's a, literally a wiffle ball like we played with when we were growing up and you're playing on this half size tennis court and, you know, any age can play it because the rules are pretty simple and most people my age are playing in doubles so you don't have to even cover the entire court. Uh, but it's still fun. It's very social, and it's a it's a good exercise.
0: It looks it's a memorable experience. Yeah, I was I, I was about <laughs> to say, and I was just while you were talking, I just did a quick Google. So like, it definitely isn't something I've I've seen before. So like, why don't we have it in the UK? Uh, it looks fun. I think I quite enjoy that. So yeah. Uh, so you, you you came on the show like back in the early days, and we were talking about mem. Um, we were talking about was it memorable events? I think that was the that was the, or uh, yeah, it was memorable events. And we were talking I, about... I don't remember, Ian. <laughs> it was such a long time ago. It was, you know, back in the uh, 19th century, I think. Uh, and we exactly. were communicating via smoke signals. But yeah, it, it was, we were talking about that. And obviously we know each other. We met uh, back in uh, 2015. At the, that was the first social media marketing world that I went to, which is, if you haven't heard, of, if you're listening or watching and you haven't heard of this, this social media marketing world is... I think the biggest social media marketing conference in the world, and it blew my mind, um, and it was had such an impact on me on my personal life, and my business life. I made so many amazing friends um, from that. But we we met, I think we met in in the in the bar at the Manchester Hyatt um, hotel. hotel or something like that. But. Uh, Tell us, Phil, what, what have you been up to since last time we spoke? I know you've written a book. Uh, what else have you been up to? Uh, what's 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 new in the life of Phil?
1: Isn't that enough? I think probably since the last time we were on here and today, that's the biggest thing is writing a book. It took me about five years to write it, you know, subtract out the the pandemic for about a year and a half. So that's maybe the biggest thing, but we're We're still working on social media marketing world we're figuring out what does it look like you know three years after a pandemic people's um event attendance habits have changed so that's a big thing um yeah i'm still playing saxophone and still doing a lot of the other same things i think the biggest deal is i've switched to you know i'm spending more time getting on podcasts and speaking and figuring out how to create content so i'm I'm definitely much more of a content creator now than i would have been last time i was on the show with you so those are a few mm. of the things yeah and, definitely oh hmm. maybe the biggest one of all my middle daughter's getting married in two months and so wow. that's probably the biggest news of any that i have
0: that is exciting that is and and kind of probably like quite strange for you i mean i can't imagine my, my daughter's 14 so the idea of her getting married <laughs> it must take takes a bit of getting used to i'm sure for you phil uh but yeah. that's yeah so that's that's interesting and i Obviously, we're going to come back to the book because, like, writing a book is a is a huge thing. I've been involved with Mark Schaefer's um, uh, the the most amazing marketing book ever uh, book, and I wrote a chapter, and that was kind of that was a lot for me. So actually, writing a <laughs> whole book is a whole other thing. But we'll come back to that um, because I'm really interested, and I'm also really interested to to hear your thoughts on what has changed. You know, uh, as we have come back from the pandemic what what has changed and how do we create memorable experiences memorable events Um, but something i'm asking my my guests at the moment something i'm really interested in is your confidence journey uh for me going back to 2015 i was i was really quite shy i was quite introverted i didn't believe in myself and being asked to speak at social media marketing world was a huge boost to my confidence. I had a lot of imposter syndrome, I have to say as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was, that was an amazing experience. So I'd love to hear from you uh, what your confidence journey has been like. Um, I'm just going to leave it like that. I'm not going to give any more details. I'm just interested in your response to that.
1: I'm going to pull on two threads as I think about that question. One is as a jazz saxophonist. So in 2004, So a long time ago. um, I moved from rural Georgia to Chicago. And I thought, awesome, I'm going to have an opportunity to play my saxophone. And that's, you know, I was working for a church. So I thought that's going to be a way that I'm going to attract people into the church because I'll be able to go play among the pros and maybe make a little bit of side income. Well, I went out and played and I had some reasonable um, success and I got to play with some great players, but I went to one bar in particular. It's called Green Dolphin Street, which no longer exists. But at the time, it was one of the premier jazz clubs in Chicago. And I knew the pianist and he asked me to play because his main sax couldn't show up. So I did that. And it was the most miserable experience I've probably had in my life in terms of musical experience, like my mouth went cotton mouth dry. And so that made my reed go dry. So I sounded terrible, I felt terrible songs that I know, and can play have played many times I I forgot I didn't fit in. It was so awkward and miserable. I wanted to quit. I literally wanted to quit the entire ride home with that guy. His name is Jose. I didn't say a word. I was just in shame. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. And it took years to get the confidence to step back on a stage outside of the church and the church I felt safe because I knew the songs and I was in charge. So no one was going to say anything, but when I got out into this space among professional musicians, I didn't feel safe anymore. It took about, um, eight years probably before I had the opportunity to step into a space where someone says, Phil, I, I really like your playing. I want to hear more. Um, can you do that? And they started hiring me and it began to be this thing where people would invite me. And that slowly developed over time where, I realized, okay, that I, back in the 90s, i had heard someone say, or someone, I introduced myself as a jazz saxophonist, but I wasn't living into that statement until probably about 10 years ago. That's when it began. And I've had the chance to play with some really amazing players. And I now know, I think this is a critical part of the journey. I had to come to grips with, I'm never going to be one of those A-listers who, you know, is getting called to, do sessions in New York or Nashville or whatever, but I can play at a level that people enjoy it and I enjoy it. So that's one journey. The other is as a speaker and in college, um, a similar experience happened. I was giving a, a persuasive speech and when I got to the conclusion of the speech, I could not remember what I had prepared and i i clammed up i i froze up and instead of trying to figure out a way out of it i just ran to my seat sat down and covered my head and said i am never doing that again <laughs> and so um it took several years and a pastor came along and said phil would you would you try it um i'm going to be there for you i'll be your safety net um, i think you've got something in you but if if after trying it one time you realize this isn't for you we can find something else for you to do but I think you've got something in you. And so with his support and encouragement, I gave it a try and that began a journey, but here's, what's interesting in is, you know, I've done a lot of speaking since that time, that's been a long time ago. I won't count how many years. Um, and I've spoken in front of thousands, I've spoken in front of dozens. Um, but there's still this imposter syndrome that kicks in where now I'm in a new space, you know, now I'm speaking at conferences where there's people that are getting paid 15, 20, 25,000, a lot more than that uh, to speak. And I'm trying to position myself saying, well, I can speak too. And I've not been paid, you know, more than, you know, a thousand dollars. I'll just put that out there. I've not been paid more than a thousand dollars yet. I've been promised more. I've signed contracts for more, but those haven't happened yet. And so there's this imposter syndrome that kicks in. Am I really very good? Do I really have what it takes? And then I yet just yesterday, I sent a video or an email to someone looking to maybe hire me and sent him a couple of videos of recent talks. And the guy's like, oh, wow, you're good. And um, what's your rate? And I haven't heard back. I don't know if I got the deal, but it it gave me such confidence. And so I think there's a, there's a third thing that I'll say, and this may be a long-winded answer, but it's important to me. There's things that if people have said about me, like, um, you're a saxophonist, you're a speaker, you're a writer. And there's about a dozen of those kind of statements that I've heard over the years from people that when they say it, it really resonates. And I'm finding myself living into those as part of like daily affirmations, I'll say these things and not in a proud way, but of this is who I am. This is how I need to show up in the world. And I, I can do this. And that's been really critical for me. And there's been stories with every one of those statements. I could tell you a story of how I've had to live into being a Swiss army knife, which sometimes I hate. And sometimes I love, you know, so there's a long winded answer to a question, but I hope Hopefully that's, that's somebody. No, that's
0: really is so interesting. I, and I was, as as you were talking, I was I was thinking a few, quite a few things. You, you, the first thing is, do you think that the battle is most of the time in our own minds when it comes to this? You know, you mentioned imposter syndrome. You obviously had those very difficult experiences, and so there's that part of your brain that's saying, Phil, like, remember that time when you completely messed up the speaking that could happen again, you know, there's so there's that battle in, in our heads. And you also mentioned that there were there was that, uh, I think it was a pastor who believed in you and gave you a, another chance. And you also mentioned, when people have said really positive things about you, they, they are truthful, like, like, Phil, you are an amazing speaker. So how much of the battle is within our own heads and how much should we be relying on other people? Because in one sense, relying on other people to give us nice things to say that that's, that can be problematic, but equally we do need people in our lives that can give us that confidence as well. So there's a lot to maybe to kind of unpack there, but I'm just interested in your thoughts.
1: Well, I do think our mental response to pain is a part of this battle. So I'm gonna give you a different example. And you know that I'm dealing with um, I've got stenosis in my neck, which means uh, the nerve is being pinched down here at the base of my neck. And so sometimes it causes shooting pain to go down my arm. And so a response to pain is, well, stop doing that. You know, that's hurting you, that's not good. And you you start to confuse good pain from bad pain knowing when is this okay, that's not good. There's, there's a problem or there's some kinds of pains that are part of the growth process. Right. But I've, I've made the mistake with this pain in particular of shutting down all activity because I'm in pain. And there's a consequence when you shut down all activity is you stop being able to do anything. Literally last fall, my my body shut down. I thought I needed to go to the ER. you know I was taking a PT to help me realize okay there's something deeper going on in your body and you're you're paying attention to the symptoms which are showing up in your arm and shoulder but actually the problem is in your neck and I think there's a parallel with all these things that we're talking about is how are we mentally responding to pain and are we understanding the source of that pain correctly so you know I forgot my my conclusion of that talk in college well the truth is and I didn't tell this part of the story when I was preparing that talk, I was not very comfortable with my conclusion. I don't like persuasive speeches in general. I'm not a salesperson, so I threw something together and I had something, but it was not well rehearsed, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to say. And I, I thought I might be able to make it up on the fly. I think I, this has obviously been over thirty-five years ago, um, and so that's part of the story. Is well, what really happened? You know, is are you telling the, the true story or? is your story fitting the narrative that you want to tell and live into? So I think there's, that's part of the mental game. We have to understand. And as far as like listening to other people, the way that I'm listening to people is I'm paying attention to things that people have said in the past, or it could be the present. But when I hear them say it and I can remember them saying it and it resonated and caused a visceral response of, okay, that's, That's true in a deeper way than I could have articulated. So I'll give you another example is the editor of my book is Jennifer Harshman. And I was part of a, uh, a writer's group for a while while I was working on the book. And then I finally realized that that wasn't helping me. Um, They wanted to talk and I needed to write and I didn't have the kind of time to talk that they did. I was like, I only have an hour a day to write. I needed to spend that hour writing, not talking. Um, But in one of those calls, I read a portion of my book. And afterwards, one of them said, Phil, you are a writer. And all of them said it. And I was like, I don't believe you. No, I'm just someone who writes, but I'm not a writer. You know, I've got a day job. I'm an event designer. I'm a saxophonist. I'm all these things, but I'm not a writer because here's the story. When I was in fifth grade, My teacher believed me when I said, I'm not a writer. You should give me a C because he actually let us one semester grade ourselves. And I believe this narrative. I'm not a writer. And he affirmed it. And from that day forward until sometime in college, I didn't think I could write. You know, I could pass the exams, but I was not a writer. I didn't want to write. I studied economics because I didn't want to write. And so that narrative has stuck in my brain even in grad school where one of my professors said, Phil, you're going to write multiple books someday. I'm like, yeah, right. That's not happening. <laughs> um, so when this happened a couple of years ago and I'm in this writer's group and they said, Phil, you're a writer. And these are, these are like professional writers and a professional editor saying, you're, you're a good writer. And she said, you're, your writing is one of the cleanest of all of my clients. I, I hardly have to change anything when you submit something to me, like, really? Uh, i don't think i'm that good um so that those are the voices i listen to but i don't go if i start going and seeking out affirmation from people then that's a different deal and i think that's dangerous Mm. so what i'm suggesting is paying attention to things that people have said over you to you that felt true in a way that you weren't begging for you weren't looking for it but when you think about it's like okay that's that's a truth statement that i need to cling to that defines part of who I am. Does
0: that that makes fascin- sense. That is fascinating. I know. And I, I think you're right. So much of the, the 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 reasons for us being stuck or not realizing our potential or not growing in our confidence comes from the, the, the this false narrative that quite often starts in our childhood and it might be through a bad experience. And you've mentioned lots of those different experiences. And it's 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 Fantastic that you've been able to realize that those are false narratives and do something about it because so many people don't do that. I also was fascinated uh, by what you said about the difference between seeking out affirmation, which I, I agree with you is, is dangerous. So many of us don't get the encouragement that we, we kind of probably need. And, and that reminds me that we, I think we need to do a better job of actually encouraging each other, like, Phil, if you have done something that really inspires me, sometimes I just, it's its not that I, I don't care about you. It's just life gets in the way or I'll forget. But why not just message you and say, Phil, I, I really loved what you did then. Um, I think that kind of affirmation is good. But when we're seeking it out, that's not a good idea. But then it's also about remembering those times when people have affirmed you in a really deep level. And then I, I have to actually make a note of those things. Otherwise I forget because I tend to focus on the, the negative narrative as opposed to the positive one, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, it totally makes sense. Now I'll, I'll clarify a couple things there. Some people's love language. If you're familiar with that book yeah. by Gary Chapman, some people's love language is words of affirmation. And so that can actually end up doing a couple things. One is you're going to seek out, words of affirmation, because you need to hear them, you're going to give them, but you're actually kind of um, fishing for them. And that can be both positive and negative. I don't think though, that it's wrong to ask people that you trust for input on what they see in you. But I think Mm -hmm. the clarifying question is there, the people that you trust and the way that you ask them. So if you're, So if you're standing on stage and saying, Hey, look at me, look how great I am and tell me that I'm the best speaker. And, you know, we literally had a couple of speakers do this at our conference, say, give me five star ratings so that I can get on the keynote stage, you know, tell them that I'm the best, you know, reach out to the event organizers and say, this guy, this gal should be on the stage. Well, that's not good. That's that is not healthy and I can see through it. And so can everybody else. But, you know, if Ian, Um, you came to me and said, Phil, I need, you know, I just need your honest input. I'm, I'm at this place where I'm transitioning and I need to understand like what's next. So what do you see in me? What's, what am I really good at that? Maybe I don't recognize the value of that's a different conversation. And that's not what I'm talking about being the danger. I think that's a Mm -hmm. good conversation. Um, but more for me, it's like if in that conversation. I said something to you that really resonated. And I think that this actually happened for us a few years ago when I called you out to be a musician and a marketer, I gave you permission to bring those worlds together. And for you, that was a a powerful moment where you realized, Oh, I don't have to put that on the shelf. I can be both in this space and I can be me. So, and those are like, those are the moments that you take note of. And you know, I think I, this gal, Katie Jordan. I don't know if you know Katie, but she does vision mapping, and primarily she does it in the faith-based world. But I know she does it for anyone. Um, but she gives you space to think about what are those things that people have said about you, and then, and then having that next thing. Well, what's keeping you from living into that? Like, so if I believe I'm a jazz saxophonist, why am I not living into that? Is there something i'm believing right now is there some experience that's blocking me is there something that i need to do you know and a lot of times for me it happens when i stop playing for a couple of months then all of a sudden i think oh i'm not a good saxophonist and it only takes three or four days of practicing again i was okay i really like this why did i stop you know (laughs) um so i doing some kind of guided exercise is helpful to recognize those voices that have come along the way. And there's lots of coaches that that do things along those lines. Mm. And I think my, my own reflection has been the result of working with multiple coaches over the years. And um, I just recently compiled this list as like my more exhaustive list of those voices that I've heard over the last couple of decades, frankly. And every one of them, there's a story behind it and I could probably give a talk about it.
0: Yeah. well. Wow so much in what you just said that I was really interested about the mind mapping side of things and the, the, the speaker on stage asking for the, the five stars. It, it feels like hacking the algorithm, you know, uh, people are trying to hack the algorithm on Facebook, but also in real life as well. I want, I want to get on though, to the book. Uh, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by that conversation. I don't, I think we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, but I do want to hear about your book and, and it's, you know, you've had this transition from being, Somebody who thought they just would no way could be a writer to being a writer, and you have now written and published a book. Tell us, tell us about the book and what the experience has been, and then then we're going to get into the topic of the book, which is unforgettable experiences.
1: Well, here it is. So we'll, uh, get it, go ahead and get it up there. You can see it over my shoulder, but we'll get a little bit closer. Um, and if you could describe, describe it, yeah. it
0: for, describe it for podcast listeners as well. Cause it's uh, I love, I love the cover.
1: Yeah. So on the cover of the book is not only the title, but it's a picture of an elephant, but it's not any elephant. It's an elephant that has a yellow ribbon tied around its trunk. And, you know, it's kind of humorous to think that an elephant, which has the strongest memory of all animals, needs to tie a yellow ribbon around its trunk to remember something. That's kind <laughs> of the, the humor that's in there. And, you know, and it's just, it's also fun, you know, uh, we're, we're working on the cover of the book and trying to figure out well, what's something that's going to picture this idea of making something memorable or unforgettable. And we said, it's got to, the cover itself has to be unforgettable has to grab your attention and say, okay, there's gotta be more here. The book is not about elephants, but what's interesting is because there's an elephant on the cover and I asked face my Facebook friends to help me name the elephant and we ended up naming him actually he has two names in Swahili. His name is Kumbu, which means to remember, <laughs> and then his, uh, English, or I suppose you could say Dutch name is Remembrant, uh, because Kumbu grew up in Africa, but went to study with a famous artist in, in Holland or the Netherlands. And he fell in love with Rembrandt. And so his friends called him Rembrandt. And I like to say now he goes around the world and says what no one else can say because he's the elephant in the room.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, how, we'll how, was
1: the, the question. Yeah, how was the,
0: how was, how was the book? How was it creating the book? I mean, you said this has been in, in, taking five years. Um, yeah what what's been the experience are you, are you are you really happy with the way it's gone what what have been the ups and the downs through that time
1: well i would say i wrote 3 books in the in the process of writing one maybe four um, the book that i thought i was writing in 2017 ended up not being a uh, a real good topic for conversation or for a book it was something that was unmanageable i had this idea That now is just a sub point within one of the chapters of the book Uh, because I realized there's not a book in that idea it's just not feasible and then um, you know then I then I got the idea for this book and wrote the proposal got approved by publisher but then the pandemic hit because I was supposed to I was supposed to finish it in 2020 summer of 2020 was the goal Um, but then no one cares about in-person events and it you know, it's, it's based on in-person events, but it is broadly about experiences. So anyone who's creating, um, experiences ideally within some kind of gathering of people, um, it's gonna be more helpful to you there. And it's gonna be most helpful to the person that's creating a one or two or three day event where you're trying to create experiences within that, but also making the whole thing memorable and transformational, but I, during the pandemic, I I put it on the shelf because no one cares. And so then I turned over and I wrote a book that hasn't been published because I don't have an audience for it yet, but I basically wrote a book on gratitude and, you know, it's more of a faith based book, but I wrote 90 blog posts in 90 days about gratitude. And so it's waiting for the right time and right place. And then I came back to this, but in the process, started writing a book called um, how to create a boring event because I thought that would be really (laughs) humorous miniature book on on facebook but in the process and, and talking to people they say well i'm not going to buy that i don't want to learn how to create boring events and they didn't see the humor <laughs> so you obviously got it um <laughs> so then i came back to the original concept rewrote the outline and was, was able to finish it but it was a lot of fits and starts and um getting into the habit of daily writing for me is you know since i have a day job i had to figure out how do i get up early how do i carve out the time one of the things I had to do was just say, you know what? I'm going to be okay with seven minutes of writing today. As Mm. long as I get seven minutes in, I'm going to be okay. And, you know, and obviously in my mind, I'm like, I know I'm not going to finish a book if I only write seven minutes a day, but that was just trying to get the engine going. Mm. You know, it's just like I'm doing right now it's like I'm showing up and I'm gonna be there for 30 minutes and I'm just gonna keep moving for 30 minutes that's that's all I'm doing yeah I don't care if I sit I don't care where my heart rate is I'm just so I had to do the same thing with writing and then slowly it became 30 minutes and 45 minutes and I was working up to getting 700 to a thousand words a day and you know and then you know and the, and the rest is history so to speak you know working with the editor and all the process it's a uh, it's a long process and they don't tell you when you sign a proposal and a contract to write the book that you're only the book itself is about 30 percent of the process the other 70 is in marketing um they yeah. don't they don't tell you that up front they wait till you finish it and they say oh by the way you're you're, you're not even close to halfway done yet
0: so <laughs> <laughs> yeah funny funning games well it's it's a fantastic that you've done that and I'm really interested in the gratitude book as well, but that that's for the future. Um, and I, I wonder whether like, you know, focusing on the negative is that was actually helped you focus on well What, what's a really bad event. What's a really boring event. So then, then you can then focus on what makes a really memorable event, but you, we, before we started recording today, we, 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 you mentioned the fact that we should probably call it unforgettable experiences. What, what's the difference? What, why should we be thinking about experiences rather than events? Uh, And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, maybe two or three points on what, what, what the kind of the core pillars to an unforgettable experience.
1: I just, I wanted to differentiate experience from events because events in my mind is a bit more of a narrow word than experience because there's, experiences that we can create. We can, we can create an experience on this podcast and I hope we do before we're done. Um, we proposed it if we have time. Um, so there's, there's experiences that you can create in a lot of different places that you're not expecting. A restaurant creates experiences, a hotel creates experiences like, you know, people have been writing about the experience economy for the last decade. And there's even people who that's their title, you know, chief experience officer, um, within companies. So, uh, I would, wanted to frame it so that the content of the book would be relevant to people who are thinking about experiences. But the primary focus of the book is on experiences within the context of events. But if you think about what an event is, it's really a series of a bunch of different moments or a m- bunch of different experiences. And you, you want to create a bunch of positive and memorable moments and not negative. And you'd like to forget about moments um, within an event. So that it become it leads up to that moment of transformation and becomes one of those highlight real experiences, like you had in the early days at social media marketing world, or it could be, you know, it could be somewhere else. It's not really about how do you create a great concert. You know, we both have musical backgrounds. There's principles in it that could relate, but it is about a broader sense of experience, and yet mostly it's written with my experience as an event director and producer um over the last 25 30 years
0: mm. yeah so could you could you share maybe two or three what what are the core th- two or three things that we should be thinking about when wanting to create an unforgettable experience what what are the things and, and may, maybe part of that is what we shouldn't be thinking about but uh what are the things that we should be focusing on
1: Yeah, one of the things that I unpack is um, it's not laid out exactly like this in the book because it's something I've even thought about. If you're a book author, aspiring book author, you keep writing once you're done with the book so and you keep, keep thinking. But the unforgettable formula for me is make something that is memorable, meaningful, and momentous. So, you know, in the context of making something memorable, you're thinking about doing something that is unexpected. You're thinking about doing thing. You're combining things that aren't normally done together. So, you know, imagine a, an opera singing cricket player, Ian, I mean, that, those are two things that, you know, but that's probably not something you've ever seen done. Right. And so, and, and if you did, you'd remember it. So um but it's also looking at things like multisensory um uh, planning. So we know from science that the olfactory senses have the most powerful connection to memories. And if I were to ask you what smell can you smell when you think about your happy place or what smell reminds you of grandma in your happiest days, you know, there's probably something that comes to mind immediately. And there's probably also if I said Tell me something that when you smell it, it makes you sick to your stomach. And you remember the first time that you smelled that smell, you probably could go there too. So th- those three things can help to make something memorable and being intentional about the use of those things, the unexpected, the co- combination of the familiar and multi-sensory. And there's more that goes into that. Um, but it's all built on the understanding that came from the 19th century German psychologist um, Ebbinghaus who created the the forgetting curve you may have heard of this yes. that people gain only 50% of what they've learned within they've forgotten 50% within an hour and they've forgotten up to 90% within a month and so the more things that we can do to make something sticky to make something stand out to get them remembering it rehearsing it um the more likely they are to remember it later and then it's going to have a more powerful impact and so that's where the meaningful comes in so we're taking something that's memorable and now we're going to make it meaningful because now we're going to make it personal we're going to say hey this we know in your your journey as a customer as an attendee as you know whoever you are you could be a speaker that things that are happening here are are personally significant and we want to draw that significance out we want to do things in an impactful way in a way that you're going to learn but we want to also give you the chance to rehearse it and tell yourself stories that you will that will serve you as you go back to your home or back to your office or back to whatever it is that you're going to do. So the meaningful has to do with that customer journey and how we make it significant, how we get the right content there. You know meaningful means it's got you've got to have the right conversations. You've got to have the right lessons. You need to understand what the needs are of your audience and it needs to be presented in a way that is going to be felt and seen. And then we work toward momentous and momentous is based on the work of uh, the power of moments, which you may know that book by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, And one of the things that they say in that book is not all moments are created equally. And I like to say not all moments are remembered equally. And so I like to look at, um, within an event, what are those peak moments? What are those places that if I influence those moments and make them really good, it will make some of those negative moments and some of those just inevitable moments that you can't help um, not feel so consequential. So I know that first impressions is one of those. I know that the last impression, how you leave people feeling at the end is very important. And I know there's some other moments along the way that may be in common or may be unique to different people but i need to understand what those are and then i need to intentionally design those in a way that stands out and it's highlighted and you know and i also need to be aware of where 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 can people fall off the train or i like to say fall off the merry-go-round um where where are they likely to get thrown off where are they likely to get so bored that they get off and don't want to get back on i need to be aware of those moments and have a plan for it Um, but in general, I'm trying to focus on what are those powerful moments and, um, and if you stack a bunch of those together, you're going to create something that is going to be unforgettable. And especially if it's been memorable along the way, and if you've made sure that it's meaningful to the audience, that's there and you've stacked those moments together in the right way, then I think that leads you toward creating unforgettable experiences and, you know, you do enough of those and you've got unforgettable events, um, or, concerts or you know venues or whatever
0: and even this even episodes like this on a live show or podcast or video can be um unforgettable as well there's so much that you packed in there phil thank you so much for that i mean uh, i have got to have a, a field day extracting some of the, the the little bits from that to put post on instagram and things like that uh if if you want to have more, if you want to hear more and find out more about this, you need to buy Phil's book. Uh just go to your favourite bookstore, search for Unforgettable, search for Phil, Phil Michonne in there, and you'll find that. Um it's it's gonna be it's it's I, I haven't read it yet, but I'm so excited about reading it, uh, because I've been to I've been to some of your events, Phil. So and I know the attention to detail that you put into it. Well, we're almost out of time. Before we um you you, you had this idea that um, you, you you've thrown me into. But before we get into that, um, tell us how, uh, is is there a, a place that we can go to to find out more about you in the book, and where's the best place to follow you on socials?
1: Yeah, so you're gonna find all my social links and a way to get a signed copy of the book if you're in the US. Um, I don't ship to uh, outside the US right now but I'm going to eventually have a way to get signatures to you, but go to filmershawn.com. And then in terms of favorite uh, social media platforms, I'd say Facebook and LinkedIn would be the two best places. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I avoid TikTok and threads is really kind of um, threadbare right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. It's the the joys of social media right now. It's all completely gone mad. It's all changed, isn't it? Um, so yeah, uh, you you mentioned about the conversation we had quite a few years ago about me embracing my mu- my musical background with what I do in my business. And I've always been inspired by what you do. You, you're, you are multi talented, you're, you're, you're now a writer, as if uh, all the other stuff that you, you you can do really well be a saxophonist, you sing, uh, you write music. Uh, you do events. You, you I mean, what, where do I, where do I stop? Uh, so like, what, what's your thought? What are we going to do now to make this memorable <laughs> or unforgettable? I all should right. say.
1: We're going to create an unexpected experience because that's what we do. So, um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, Ian. Yeah. So first of all, what's, uh, what's one or two ideas or words that stand out from the conversation that we just had?
0: Oh, right. Putting me on the spot. I think, I think, I don't, I, you you didn't use this word, but I think empathy thinking about the, 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 what the, the people at the events or the experience are thinking about it from their point of view. I think that's a really important thing. Um, What else would be. um, And I was also just before what you were saying about, um, your, your confidence story about uh, the, the battle within your your brain as well and how to, uh, to change. To, it's, there's a book about this, isn't there? But it's changing that soundtrack in your head as well. So a couple of different things there. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, there's a word that I've heard you use in this conversation and in some that we've had privately. And I've seen a lot of people use this recently. And that's this word, un- I feel stuck. Yeah, um, and I need to get stuck and figure out my way. And so, here's what I'm going to do. Um, now let me ask you one last question: uh, major or minor?
0: Oh, I'm going to say minor because I, I like minor. It's it's minor gets a bad rap, okay. so let us let's go for, go for it. I,
1: I'm all about the minor. <laughs> um, all right, name name a key. Anywhere from C to B.
0: B B double sharp minor. I'm joking. Um D uh. Can we do D minor? Is that okay?
1: Sure. All right. It's gonna be an E minor. Um and Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna put any more limits on it that. All right, so this is gonna be the unstuck song, uh, done in an empathetic way that will hopefully inspire Ian and all of us to get unstuck and Find our confidence and go create some unforgettable moments.
0: That was beautiful, haunting. Am I allowed to say that? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. You've got well, you've got an amazing my, ministry uh, there, Phil. It's just just the just also being able to just improvise on a, on a an emotion on a, on a thought is is amazing.
1: Cool. Mm, cool. Well, thanks for letting me create that experience and this conversation. I've enjoyed it, man.
0: Definitely. Well, there you go. You see, that is an unforgettable experience right on the show thank you phil for that it's been great to have you on the show i i feel that um we've got so much we could have talked about but we'll leave it there with people wanting more do get the book unforgettable in all good bookstores as they say and thank you phil for coming on the show it's been great to have you
1: thank you so much
0: Uh, it's been been brilliant well we are out of time thank you so much for plugging us into your ears or for watching uh, Uh, this video as well. It's been great to have you here. But until next time, I encourage you to level up your impact authority and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. See you soon. Bye
1: thanks for watching the confident live marketing show with ian anderson gray
0: make sure you subscribe at iag.me forward slash podcast so you can continue to level up your impact authority and profits through the power of live video
1: and until next time you